1: welcome to the elk shake podcast i'm dan statement this is your blue collar do-it-yourself self-guided public land elk hunting learning curve resource where we leverage hunting to create more personal development our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work delayed gratification and being accountable to themselves Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the Fitness Man. What's up, guys? Hope you're having a great week. June's almost here. Excited to drop an episode today. We are going to be talking about Washington State elk. I'm a Washington resident. I have killed two elk in the state of Washington, and I have, I think, maybe one season of actually trying to elk hunt over the counter. So we're gonna we're gonna kind of do it justice and talk about Washington State shit show. That's the name of the show today. It's We Think Washington Elk Hunting is Ridiculous, and we're going to talk about why. It's going to be a little bit of controversial topics coming up, but we're going to try to back some things up. I'm bringing on my intern right now, Jacob Villa Sr. He has, I've known him for about five years. He's followed me with a camera in Nevada Mule Deer. That's where we first kind of hung out for a five day hunt, and he did awesome. And then he followed me around with a camera in uh, 2018 when I had a Nevada elk tag. Trying to think if we've, have we, uh, he's followed me around bear hunting a little bit this year and filmed a stock. We haven't published that video yet. Dude's just been around, man. Like We've hung out quite a bit, shot bows together, And uh, just to really, we have a great relationship. He's uh, entering right now, finish up his degree in marketing. So any of you companies out there in the outdoor industry that are interested in hiring somebody who knows how to run a camera, knows how to shoot images, knows how to write and can articulate and has a military background. So he's full of discipline. This guy would be a great hire. So we're going to bring him on, but first we're going to pay those bills. We're going to talk about Elk Shape podcast. We're filming this one. It's going to be on YouTube. We rarely do that because it's a pain in the butt, but we want to put this one on. So what's up all you YouTubers out there, if you can watch this or listen to it in the background, great. This podcast is brought to you by Vortex Optics. These guys have a great discount code right now, so if you want some Vortex apparel like this hoodie I'm wearing right now, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE and you can save 20%. Also, you'll see a lot of people talk smack about Vortex, and I don't know why, because their UHDs hold their weight in gold, like they hold up against any of the other top Manufacturers out there, especially at low light. I can glass just as good as any glass at low light with my UHD 10 by 42s. And then a lot of folks ask me about my vinyl harness. It's a Vortex vinyl harness, and you get that vinyl harness when you buy UHDs. They have the VIP warranty. So if you break it, they'll fix it, no questions asked. That warranty is transferable. So if you picked it off Facebook Marketplace and you broke something on your Vortex, they'll fix it. Just a great company out of Wisconsin. Veteran-owned, great people, huge partner of Elk Shape. They've always supported us. Thank you for that. Kenna Trek Boots. Thank you for your support. I'm rocking the Mountain Guides. Jacob, which ones are you uh rocking? I've got the Mountain Extreme 1000s this year. That's going to be some of your late season hunts. Those are going to be awesome. Uh, Basemap, we switched over to Basemap this year because we feel like for e-scouting, the desktop version is second to none. Their mobile app is good. It's not great yet, but it's getting better. I'm working with the developers to help them make it more user-friendly and more uh, robust in the backcountry. I'll be using Basemap this year, and it's $29.99 for all 50 states. More layers on the desktop version than you can shake a stick at. Definitely give it a shot if you're trying to pinch pennies. Uh, I think it's one of the best out there. Baku e-bikes, these guys, I just used my e-bike yesterday. I hauled two 40-pound humans on my trailer. Those are my kids, and we went and checked a trail camera. I brought two batteries. I gained 3,000 feet, and I pulled two kids, a chainsaw, loppers, my backpack, and I weigh 155 pounds. We went about six miles, 3,000 feet, got a trail camera out got some great video on that too, uh, on a public land spot, swapped batteries and came back to the truck and I had 85% left on my second battery. So if you're going to buy e-bike, backcountry e-bikes, they're made for hunters and their e-bikes, you know, they're it's an investment, but if you want to save $400, use the discount code Elkshape400 and then... Take that $400 that you saved and buy an extra battery and you'll be good to go. They're quiet. I know that BLM is looking at allowing e-bikes to go where mountain bikes are allowed. So they're looking at uh, classifying them as um, not motorized vehicles. That's a very hot topic, very debatable. I know backcountry hunter and anglers, which I'm a lifetime member of, they are contesting that. They are trying to get BLM to not allow e-bikes to go. And I can see both sides. I like an e-bike because, yeah, you still got a pedal. Yeah, they're quiet. They don't have exhaust and they're and I love that. But I will say, like, there's no doubt, like it's an advantage. Like, if you give me a mountain bike, I'm gonna have to work way harder than an e-bike. So I see both sides. I like my e-bike for places where you know, mainly whitetail hunting or bear hunting. And I need to be quiet and I could be on these roads with a dirt bike, but it wouldn't be the same. It'd be loud. There'd be exhaust. So backcountry e-bikes, huge supporter. Thank you guys. XO mountain gear. I'm rocking that 4,800 K three frame. Just killed a bear. Just pulled the bag away from the frame in two seconds, put the bear and bear meat in there and packed it out in one load. So, XO Mountain Gear, super robust, and I think they have simplicity is what makes them the best. There's not a bunch of fancy zippers and bags and attached. It's just straight up super simple, which I like, and the I don't think there's a lighter pack out there. It's 5.5 pounds, bag pulls away from the frame. Matthews Archery, I'm shooting the VXR 28 and a half. Uh, I just killed the bear with the 28. I think that's going to be my bow of choice just because it's a little bit smaller. Uh, I shoot both. Pretty well. Graham Reaper Broadheads, I shoot a, a Micro Hades 3 blade, pass through on that bear, no problem. Phelps game calls for all the Elk Shape Camp sponsorship. Thank you, Sika Gear, giving away three core lightweight hoodies at every camp. Wilderness Athlete discount code: Elk Shape thirty, save thirty percent off your first purchase. And we just created a program. It's a twenty-eight day program. I'll leave a link in the show notes. But click the link, check out this program. If you buy the twenty-eight day program to increase your bow draw strength, you get a bunch of supplements with that, and a PDF and a video-driven system or program with all the instructions on how to increase your bow draw strength. So if you're a youth athlete and you're, you're trying to get past 40 pounds or maybe you're uh, even a lady's coming into bow hunting, I know when my wife started, she couldn't pull back 45 pounds and now she's pulling 60 on her setup. It just takes time. Some people are overbowed right now, and they think it's cool to get eighty-pound limbs, and uh, so we have a bow draw test in there to make sure you're not overbowed. Uh, thank you to Black Gold Outdoorsman, Off Grid Food Co, Easton, Tight Spot, Crossover Symmetry, Lakewood Products. We appreciate all your guys' support. Thanks for letting me pay the bills. Elk Shape Camp. We have Colorado coming up second week of June. I look forward to seeing all you guys and seeing Aaron Snyder, Phil Mendoza. Dirk Durham, Jeff Bynum, and then boom, we're going into Wisconsin in July, and it's going to be awesome. We, both those camps have one spot maybe each, and I open registration back up, so if you are interested, go ahead and use the discount code Canatrek 100 and you will save $100 off registration, and that will be good for either camps coming up. And then 2021, we'll be doing five more camps and we're going to try to go primarily East coast. So be on the lookout for that. Now let's get into the podcast with Jacob Villasenor. Uh Jacob, I'm excited to have you on, man. Um, We're going to talk about the shit show elk hunting in Washington state. You've killed an elk, your only elk, your first elk, public land, over the counter, Washington state. So you've done it.
2: I've done it. You I, done
1: did it. I put the work in. And we brought you on the podcast and talked about that. We did. So if you guys want to hear that episode, go back. Uh, we'll leave a link into that show.
2: But what is your agenda today? What do you want to talk about? So I I was setting up for the draws, looking at odds. Another year looking at tag allocations go down. Kind of knew the backstory of why that was happening, but just started looking into it. And from there, kind of my eyes were open to how much less opportunities given out, particular because of the general system and the way the system's set up with quality managed units with spikes, branch bolt, draw, that whole system. So I can jump back in, start from the beginning and uh, explain why. Let's
1: lay down the foundation for those. So if you're not a Washington state resident and you're listening to this podcast, don't hang up yet. Like there's some good hunting in Washington. We're going to talk about it. And it's an over-the-counter option. So let's say all the draws have gone and you're like, man, I don't have, I didn't draw anything. Where should I go over the counter? It could be a good state to come to, especially if you're going to like try to round up a Idaho, Oregon, and Washington, like a trifecta. Maybe you want to do 10 days at each, hunt the entire month of September. We're going to lay the foundations for Washington. It is a choose your weapon state-ish. And uh, I want you to lay down the foundation of how they allocate their tags the draws, the seasons, including the
2: spike-only nonsense, go. So to jump back, like the there's Roosevelt elk on the west side and Rocky Mountain elk on the east side. For the most part, barring the northeast and kind of central little elk bands that kind of run around, there's there's an actual herd up in the northeast called the Selkirk herd. That's over the counter, but everything else: Yakima herd, Kalakum herd, and Blue Mountain herd, which are some of the bigger herds in the state. Are all managed under a spike only general season. Kalakums, especially the true spike, so you can only shoot one point on each side. Each side, the Yakum and the Blue Mountains, you can shoot a two by one or a three by one, whatever. Um, but for whatever reason, the Kalakum, they've chosen that that more strict true spike season.
1: And that's not complicated. <laughs>
2: I mean, in the heat of the moment, you know what I mean. Uh, maybe maybe the the points are lined up and you haven't seen it turn, but right. And it goes back. So they. The herds, the Rocky Mountain elk herds in Washington's, pretty much got extirpated. Besides maybe the blues, they're all pretty much gone by the late 1880s. So they brought elk in from Yellowstone, about 50 per herd. And that's how they started back in the early 1900s. So, and for the longest time, they were managed as any bull or any elk, depending on what the population objectives were for those, those elk herds. But by 1989 in the Blue Mountains, the biologists were concerned because they were getting bull to cow ratios of one to five per hundred cows, and they were spikes and raghorns. They, they didn't have any mature bulls for the most part because the there's so many people in Washington, even back then, and actually I think more people hunted back then, especially rifle seasons, that the bulls would just get decimated on an any bull season. And so by the end of the season, there'd be... Practically no bulls left and basically no mature bulls. So biologists looked at systems back then. What can we do to increase the age structure of the bulls in these herds? And they went with a spike general season and a draw for the branch bulls. I think the watershed was in the Blue Mountains was draw only for a little bit longer than that. And that's the only place you could really find mature bulls. So they did that in 1989. And then by 1994, the year I was born, uh, in the Yakima and Calakum herd, they went with the same system because they were seeing the same things. So that's when it started. And at the time, they went with a bonus point system. So every year you don't draw, you get a point. Those points are squared. And that eventually would get you a tag. And for the first 10, maybe 15 years of that, people were drawing tags even rifle hunters, because the amount of people that were involved with the draws was a lot lower. Um, Point creep hadn't started setting in. It just worked better in the beginning. But by the time I got involved with hunting back in 2014 to, to now, basically the system's been broken to the point where, yes, we have opportunity by a general spike season. But if you look at the success rates of those hunts, barring antlerless opportunity with a bow... Because the antlerless opportunity for muzzle loader and rifle is, is draw only. It's practically nothing compared to other states. And so you're you're getting crowded woods. You're basically just getting meat because most people aren't going out to shoot spikes for their head headgear. And crowded woods, low success rates, and now practically no chance to draw a branch bull tag in these in these units. Some people are drawing them, but there's so many people here, and the tag allocation is so low that you can't really. Even someone with max points, for for instance, someone with max points in a, the Yakima herd units gets about three percent chance of drawing a tag every year.
1: And how many how many points is that? Twenty four, I believe in most. Okay, so let's back up even a little bit. So I wake up. I'm like, I'm gonna get my elk tag. Um, Washington has a kind of a weird system where they have a draw. It's in May. That's the deadline. They give you the results pretty fast, about a month later, sometime in June. I go in, and I'm like, okay, I want to put in for elk. So I go to their website, and I have to buy my application first. Then I have to go back and put in my application. So you like every year I go into Washington's fishing game, and I'm like, okay, I'm putting in for moose, sheep, goat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I end up dropping... Almost two hundred dollars or more, yeah. To get kind of like my quote sportsman's package. Mm. Um once I buy that, then I can go back in and then I can put in. I can't do it all at one set. Like I have to
2: buyer tags and applications. Then go back. Then go back, put in. I dislike that. Yeah.
1: That's very awkward to me. Most states you can do it all in one little thing, like you buy your permit. You put in your what you want to put for It's a one deal. Washington makes you come in twice. So just know that. And then the other thing I, you have to decide on is, do I want to go east or do I want to go west, which you already alluded to. So on the east side, uh, that's going to include some, like the east side of the Cascades over, and then the west side is the west side of the Cascades out to, basically, to where the ocean starts. And, yeah, there's true Roosevelt's in Washington State. And then you kind of have these hybridy rock they're really rocky in my opinion, but they're they're up there in the cascades going back and forth. And uh they certainly don't look like Roosevelts to me when people pull them out, like for the most part.
2: Usually dark horned. Mm-hmm. Um I would say they have stockier main beams for the most part. You usually don't see any fifty inch main beams. I mean there's no. there's here and there, you'll see some freaks, but they yep. have the influence of the Rocky Mountain, but it's it's a hybrid. It's it's, it's a, a hybrid. Mix. Because in some places, that boundary line between where I've seen elk cross it from, like I've been there exactly where they're crossing and it's not much for them to get over that. So, and
1: there's a pretty good chunk of public land on the actual like Olympic Peninsula and Roosevelt, like true Roosevelt stuff. So that's why it's like a viable over-the-counter option. I do want to talk about, the options. So, Washington does not like, let me just compare it to Idaho. I know real well. So, Idaho, you get an A or a B tag. A tag is okay, you get pretty much all of September to archery elk hunt. You get a four or five day rifle season at the end of October, once the real rifle season's ended. Mm-hmm. Then you get usually like a muzzle loader, and then you get another archery in December. And that's depending on the zone in Idaho. Okay. So if you want to compare Idaho to Washington, Washington's got two zones, they got East or West, and then you have to choose a weapon. So if you put in for archery, you get, that's what you get. You're going to only hunt archery and that's going to be about a 12 day season in September. And it's never like really towards the back, back end of September. Never, ever. On um, the latest, I think it's ever gone. was like September 21st or second. Oh, it went to 24th. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then that's it. You're done. And it's 12 days, which is basically a weekend and a weekend and a little bit of time in between very, very crowded woods. Now, muzzleloader, depending on the area in Washington, is like a five-day-ish season, sometimes seven. Seven days. Seven-day season. Okay. So you have seven days, usually somewhere early October. And then you have rifle, which is towards the end of October.
2: Usually on 26th or the east side, uh, early November. And then
1: the archery guys get another crack. And some muzzleloader guys do, too, at the end of November through a little bit of december yeah. but the bottom line is there's a multi-season application where if you draw that you can hunt all to, all the seasons rifle muzzy archery archery muzzy rifle whatever you have the multi-season you can do all those <clears throat> east and west too east and west both i've never ever drawn a uh the multi-season ever
2: you want to know something sad what? I drew it last year and I didn't even hunt Washington.
1: I believe it. <laughs> I mean, so, wh- okay. So, the things that I guess I dislike about Washington, I'm just going to get up front right now is like, I hate the idea. And I had a guy on here named George Bettis, and he kind of helped talk about working with the commission to get the spike only because they were in dire straits. And I get that. But that, to me, I like what Montana does. You don't shoot spikes. Like, and I've killed two spikes in my life, I killed two in Idaho. I was meat hunting, but I would totally not shoot them if that was the rule. And I think that should be the rule here. Because that's like the dumbest elk in the world. And let it, it will significantly change its behavior if you give it one more year. You know, a two and a half-year-old bull could be a five point, six point, it could be, and it could be breeding and it could be a lot more intelligent. And it's just a sturdier way to to keep the herd strong, which we're not doing, obviously. What's your thoughts on? because you already said this and I want to make this clear. If you have an archery tag and you hunt a general unit that is
2: spike only, you can also shoot a cow up until reason. So let me jump back with the East side herds. 2015 was a drought year, right? They went into a drought at this time, the herd and Yakima, and I think even Kalakam and blues, maybe on those were over objective. So they were, handing out, like in some units they are giving out 340 antlerless tags to rifle and muzzleloader hunters. The funny thing is the success rates really aren't that high for those in the long run. But it was high enough harvest after the drought. They go from a drought, high harvest, into two hard winters. This had an effect on the herds. Yakima is now below objective by about 800 animals. And Kalakam and Blues are both hovering kind of round the line of below objective. They're they're below, but not by a significant amount. This has led to, I think this last year, they had a half season. I don't know if I've looked at the antlerless season for Yakima this year, but the antlerless seasons are getting shorter for archery. I think the late season still intact. In that system, most of the archery hunters out there are looking to shoot cows. when When they're going out there, to find a spike in the rut for an archery hunter is like, you run upon it, it's either dog in the herd or it's lost. Like, unless the bulls are tolerating them being in, in the herds with the rest of the cows, they're off doing who knows what. I've
1: seen it both ways, but I'd say majority time, they get kicked
2: out. Mm-hmm. Majority. Mm-hmm. So so people are looking for cows, will shoot spikes if they can, but the success rates, here. let me pull up the numbers here real quick, for general season archery... In the Kalakam and Yakima herds, the success rate for spikes, not for cows included, is about 08 percent to one point three percent. So and that's an average. That's averaged yeah. over about ten years. Okay. Uh for muzzle or for the blue so mountains you're saying there's
1: a chance. <laughs> for muzzle loader
2: or blue mountains, there's one point four to one point five percent chance.
1: And let me talk about that blue mountain spike. So in two thousand eleven, I drew a blues tag. Mm-hmm. Uh, Winaha or Winaha East, however you want to say it. And we're going to have to talk about natives on this in a second. We are. And I don't have a strong opinion on it because I'm a white man and they were here first. That's what I believe. But anyways, the 2011 Druid was stoked. I had killed a bull in Washington on the backside of Mount Spokane. I'll say the place because I don't hunt here at all. (laughs) Um, Lucky as heck. Shot it with a rifle. I've talked about that story before, but 2001, killed an elk with a rifle. First elk ever. Got super stoked on it. 2011, 10 years later, I drew a a Washington-Wanaha East tag. Which is amazing. Amazing tag. And I didn't take it for granted, dude. I went in there with horses four times in the summer scouting. Um, I had it dialed. And I'm going to tell you right now, like, I hated being there. I saw a few guys on horseback, 10 miles deep, interfering with my tag, basically is how I felt, trying to kill a spike. Trying to kill a spike. Calling in bulls that I would actually like to shoot because I have a tag, and they're like trying to kill a spike back there. Uh, It doesn't make sense to me. It's literally like, if we traded shoes, they'd be like, gosh, yeah, I guess this sucks kind of having people trying to kill a spike while I basically kind of have a -a once-in-a-lifetime elk tag.
2: You know, and that's how I felt, and that and that's what Washington has passed for opportunity. It's this super low chance, and e- even the Blues, the numbers of archery hunters and muzzleloader hunters for spikes is low compared comparatively to the Yakima clock herds. You'll have seventy-five to maybe one hundred and fifty people hunting individual units in the Blues in Yakima herds, especially with the late season. You can have upwards of nine hundred to a thousand archery hunters in a single unit that report hunting that unit. And for rifle hunters, I think it's something like 1,500 to 1,800. These aren't big units, man. No, not not huge units at all. And so this opportunity that's been passed up, I'm sure there's – and that's one of the controversial parts of this discussion is how many people are cherishing that spike hunt and how much is it worth to people to not draw tags in the long run. If we keep harvesting spikes, those bulls aren't growing up to being mature bulls. There's bulls that are escaping that are getting older – and they're getting really old, as I found out. But at the same time, if you're killing them spikes, they're not they're not getting three and a half, four and a half, five and a half year old bulls. So that's where this discussion kind of and this where this second look at our system kind of drew me into what is opportunity? What could we potentially sacrifice and what would it look like to change the system over so people have maybe less overall opportunity, which if you think one and a half percent killing a spike is opportunity. I would I would disagree like that's 98.5% chance of not killing something. So, I'm going to jump into this real quick and I want to say before this like I know I'm not a biologist, I'm not trying to come at this as I know more than what they're saying. It's just things that I've looked at as of what they've published that don't make sense to me and that in turn has led me to ask these questions are we really managing them right the right way for Washington? And if we shifted it over, what would that look like? Let's start with the numbers real quick. So I did the averages for the number of elk in the three herds and the averages for the blues, average for blues is about 5,000 animals, Colocum 5,000 animals and Yakima about 10,000 animals over the past 10 years. That's for the average populations, which, Plus, plus a small, it's called the rattlesnake hills herd, part of the Yakima herd. It's the subherd just, just east little of the north. Northeast. A lot of private land, yeah. draw-only units, that kind of stuff. About It's over-objective by 700 animals. It has good bull-to-cow ratios, but it's not a lot of access. So, But that all total is 21,000 elk under quality management on the east side. Uh, bull-to-cow ratios averages are 29 in the blues per 100 cows, 9 for Calocum. This is, this is where it gets weird. So nine for Colocum and 16 for Yakima. And at currently, I think Colocum's at 14 and Yakima's at 11 from what they report. Actually, technically seven from what they report. But this is where it gets strange. So the Blue Mountains, you could see in the wintertime, there's enough open country. The bulls are going to be out feeding where they can. You're going to be able to see a lot of elk using an aerial survey. Mm-hmm, if you go in and look at the game and harvest trend for Washington, the the document they publish for 2019, and you go and look at the type of land in the Kalakam and Yakima herds, you'll see a ton of timber and then a little itty-bitty chunk of open winter ground, right? They take their numbers in good winter winter years. They're a little bit more accurate, but they even say themselves. So it's stated on one of the or the Calacum elk plan they said this verbatim. It is difficult to obtain good estimates of the post-hunt bull population because bull groups in late winter are relatively small in size and have a clumped distribution. Small groups of elk that are not evenly distributed across the landscape and using heavy cover can be difficult to see from the air. Precision of the bull estimates has ranged from 18% confidence interval to 38% confidence interval the bull estimates represent those animals on traditional winter range that is routinely surveyed. There are indications that a number of bulls in the timbered areas outside the surveyed winter range may be missed. So they say this for clocking, but they don't say it for Yakima. For some reason, they don't say this for Yakima, even though I think Yakima has less open non-timbered winter ground. And if you understand confidence intervals, it's Basically, how sure are they on the number that they're reporting? For populations, they have a confidence interval of five. So 18 to 38% is how much error they could have in their numbers. But they continue to seem, it seems like they're basing allocation strongly off of these numbers, even though that confidence interval is that high. And they're not really doing anything to try to get a more, oh, I don't know if they're not doing anything, but it doesn't seem like they've made efforts to develop a more effective system in surveying bulls in the populations of elk. So this is kind of strange to me because I I was in the area when they took these numbers for Yakima. So 2010 15 per 100, 16 the next year, 16 the next year, 15 the next year. Then they had two years of not even surveying them because I think they're over objective and they're like okay, we're good. Then the drought happened in 2015 and you would think the number goes down after the first winter but they had hard winters. So you remember they have hard winters, more elk come down, more bulls get pushed out of those timbered areas. Their bull to cow ratio goes up to 19. The next year it goes up to 20. After the hard winter and the drought, the next year the bull to cow ratio goes up. Then a a not hard winter plus non-aerial surveys, just basically, so it's called ground surveys. They take the number of of the elk at the feed stations, plus they hike around, drive around, do what they can to see elk. It drops from 20 the year before to seven the next year. It says, a little disclaimer on that, says, 2018 data are based on ground sampling of historic elk winter ranges and are not thought to accurately reflect the true population ratios due to the low observability of the bulls on the ground. Which would make sense, because most bulls, especially in a lighter winter, in in that area, like I was around hiking and looking for sheds, bulls are up higher. You're not going to see them in some of the timber that they hang out in, especially with an aerial survey. Not county. Like I would hike around and in the not timber out in
1: the open all day. No, like oh, breaking the weather, mm-hmm. they'll come out, mm-hmm. but they'll go right back in. Mm-hmm. Or if a rain breaks, they'll come out, or they'll just be out just when this when there's shade. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're like on a east face mm-hmm. and the sun's setting or on the backside. But mm-hmm. other than that.
2: They're not going to come out. Exactly. I would hike around in the timber. And they can feed in the timber, by the way. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Big time. I found a lot of sheds in the timber. And those years I was finding sheds and they were there. And I mean, I found one of my biggest sets those years. I'm not saying that the population didn't dip because it definitely did. And the bull to cow ratio, I'm sure took a hit because they were harvesting at a high rate of both spikes and branch bulls prior to this happening. So I'm not saying it didn't dip. It's just they're getting a number and projecting it like they're not taking it into full account but then when i emailed the biologist in yakima about this he even though they they gave that caveat about 2018 he responded yes the data from 2018 is and this year are from ground counts but understand these are not go out and drive around and count elk in the woods kind of ground counts ground counts in the yakima herd come from the elk that move to winter feed sites each winter this is only the only place we do winter feeding in the state we get about 50 percent of the herd showing up on the feed sites most winters get a highly accurate count and classification of them at these sites. What changes in very mild winters is that we do not combine the feed site count with aerial surveys, which is what they were doing in hard winters. Right.
1: So the bottom line is, I think what you're coming at is you think, you think there's plenty, there's probably plenty of elk to hunt and they're not giving out enough tags. What is your narrative?
2: My narrative is that even in the good years, there's likely more bulls to cows than they were what was being represented, and what was showing for harvest. So now, yes, keep, if they're trying to get them back to objective, you can keep giving out low tax, whatever their decision making is, it just seems like if they're, he, he made it seem like, yes, this is more accurate than we're representing on our publishing. So we're, we're actually allocating tags based off of this number, even though we.
1: So he thinks the feed stations give him an accurate sample size, which you would
2: yeah, since 50%, they're taking the classification, seven bulls per 100 cows. The bulls don't hang, most of the bulls aren't coming down to the, like the 50% that isn't at the feed station is going to be higher percentage bulls than the ones that are at the feed Agree.
1: station. Agree. And those feed stations aren't high, they're down low. hmm.
2: Really low. They're as low as the elk can go. The, feed, the yep. fence is right there. Yeah. So, and that makes sense to me. I don't, Mm-hmm. That doesn't take a biologist to understand that more bulls are going to be up higher in that non-feeding group.
1: Especially the older mm-hmm. age class bulls. In
2: 2018, 2019, 2020, I've looked at the Snowtel MAT interactive map. They weren't heavy snow years. I was hiking around. I saw bulls in March at 5,000 feet in Washington, which if you know elevation in Washington, that's pretty high mm-hmm.
1: in is. March. So really high. in
2: the timber, they popped out and I saw them for a second and they were gone. So if you're not ever getting those bulls and getting that accurate data. There needs to be a shift in order to allocate tags and give out opportunity. Because another thing that he was telling me is that they're getting age-class bulls in the Akama herd of 10, 11, and 12 years of age. That's insane. Which it sounds insane to me, and I'm not a biologist, but I called a Montana biologist and asked, a 15-year wildlife biologist, works, has worked on elk. She was like, that's that's pretty old. That's." And to me, it's like, is that is there no opportunity? What is the what's letting them get that old? And that's what it seems like to me because there's not. He even the biologist even said that they darted a 16 year old bull. Oh, uh, dude!
1: So they literally are like farming old bulls. Old bulls. Yeah. This is not. This is not. This is not working, guys. Yes. Okay. And
2: and in Yakima, say this is a trophy unit. And you're getting around every corner, you have a sh- chance of shooting a 360 or better bull. If you go to Yakima and say you have that experience, I will j- look at you with a crazy stare and say, take me to the spot you're at. Cause that doesn't happen. They're they're three 300 to 330 inch bulls. Most of the mature bulls, just because they have that, most likely they have the interaction with the Roosevelt's, which on average have smaller antlers. Colocum get bigger. Blues get bigger. I understand that old age class, really big bulls, but, at some point, you have to say, if there's a 16-year-old bull running around, he's escaped winters, predators, and hunters for eight years of the prime of his life. That's a long time for an elk not to be taken. And the picture, he sent me the picture of the 16-year-old bull, and it was like a 290 bull. Mm-hmm. It, it was probably still breeding. From what he said, it was still breeding. Wow. 11-year-old bulls are still breeding. He he said there is kind of this idea that they won't breed at that age, but he said a lot of the times they're still viable. They're still holding cows. Hmm. Interesting that data. So, that's a
1: really, really old bull to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy. They still have teeth. I would say, have we talked about the, the herds down by Mount St. Helens? No. And I didn't. So, cause because I want to get into hoof rot a little bit. I mean, that's a really huge topic in Washington and people get pissed off that natives can hunt in mm-hmm. a lot of places whenever they want.
2: So because of the way the laws are with the natives I'm not going to touch on... What is the law? Basically, whatever's in their, their treaty, mm-hmm. whatever area they can access, they set their own seasons and they can hunt. Usually, usually very generous, um, depending on either antlered or, or antlerless, and they can go in and hunt with whatever weapon. At any time of the day? It just, depend, it just depends. Depends on whatever their tri- treaty is and whatever the tribe... They can Termins. shoot
1: from roads, from trucks, from trucks at night with spotlights on that. I don't know stuff. about that. I don't, I don't either. I'm and, just
2: asking. And I haven't, I didn't look into that as much because I, I know it's, that's likely not going to change. And certainly shouldn't. The department's just going to factor that in when managing the elk. They, and they should. should. Yeah. So, so taking that into account, the West side over the counter, they've encountered hoof rot. They actually found hoof rot in the Yakima herd, but it's likely not going to be as damaging because of the dry. Ground that it's on, and the bacteria can't thrive. But I didn't look into that system as much because it seems to be self sustaining. Okay. The three point minimum success rates are a little bit better than there is a three
1: point minimum
2: on the west side.
1: Okay. I like that. Mm -hmm.
2: In some units, it's antlerless for archery. Sure. Even for late muzzleloader on the west side, there's opportunity there. I've hunted it in one unit, I've never gone out of that one unit. And I have a buddy who's killed two bulls in a, in a row in that that unit. And that's one of the reasons I kind of looked at it. It was like, how many bulls are they harvesting on this side of the mountains versus this side of the mountains when this herd's smaller? And they're harvesting a pretty good amount of bulls. The age class of those bulls isn't going to be the same. It's going to be two, three, four-year-old bulls. Probably not many bulls over five, mm-hmm. but there's still bulls getting killed are that, that age. I've seen pretty big bulls on camera that I would say are right. reaching that five-and-a-half two, seven and a half year, years of age in those units. So kind of going back to support the bull to cow ratio thing, the Blue Mountains, just just to go back to that, they did their bull to cow ratios the, the same way in 2018 with the ground counts. This kind of backs up what I was thinking in Yakima because they went from 33 in 2017 to 13 right. the next year with the ground counts. Yeah. So that just that backs up that they're not getting accurate data and then I went back to what was the system as it was prior to the drought, prior to the hard winters, how many tags were getting allocated, and what was the opportunity? And so if you look at opportunity as it was, let me get to that stuff here. So I've already talked about the success rates. Basically, the best you're going to get is some muzzleloader units, you'll get a 5% chance of shooting a spike from what's published. Okay with the actual draw tags they total they're they're looking the average is about 1200 in normal population years 1200 bulls per year harvest harvested including spikes so bulls and spikes together and the amount of tags that they usually release is about 1100 1100 to 1200 tags in normal years With a high end of like 1,400, almost 1,500 tags was the highest amount they gave in the past 10 years and with a low end of 438, which was this year. So out of that harvest, if you're looking about what the average harvest percentage is, it's about, I think the average percent is 25, 26%. Actually, 28%. 28% average success rate from those draw tags, specifically those draw tags. So if they're giving out 1,200 whatever 28% of that is, that's what they're harvesting for branch bulls. Plus the over-the-counter hunts. That's what they set up. So if you if you took, when I when I was thinking about this, I was like, if you took the spike harvest, took it away, if you could figure that out and transition those bulls into two and a half year and older bulls, let the spikes escape somehow, whatever regulation that takes, whatever's most effective. Three point or better across the Three state. Three point, brow tine, whatever Montana yeah. does, something like that. And originally, I was thinking five-point minimum, but when I talked to the Montana biologist, she's like, that's too restrictive, and you'll get people who would be perfectly happy with a raghorn, frustrated that they can't shoot something that's potentially smaller than that. Yeah. So she I'm, said, with, her. I'm with her on that. Leave that, and if you don't over-harvest, you're not going to get back to that one to five bulls per hundred cows and no mature bulls. Certainly. It's, there's going to be escapement because people are going to be harvesting from that two-and-a-half age year and older classification, but you know, all the spikes are going to escape to that next year, Yep. depending on calf recruitment, whatever else the biologists have to look at. So I was looking at those numbers and basically if you took all that harvest and transitioned it to a similar success rate, you'd be giving out even in a poor year, like this year at a harvest of 1,230 for bulls, which is the average with a 30% success rate, which is higher than the 28 point Five percent average, you'd be able to give out four thousand one hundred and thirteen bull tags, in comparison to the four hundred thirty-eight they're giving out this. Or sorry, that's with the twelve hundred. With eight hundred, they they harvested eight hundred elk last year it's something like twenty-seven hundred tags. So that's just if you kept the system the same and transitioned the harvest from spike only to draw only. Draw only no general season. It would transition you into be, being able to give out basically three to four times as many, three to four times as many tags every so year. So
1: where would our opportunity hunters go? So like people like me that if I don't draw a quality bull tag in Washington, I'm out. Anyways, I'm going to Idaho, Montana, Wyoming. I could care less. Um, but what about the schmucks that are like. Bro, I can't afford an out-of-state tag, or I don't have like this is my opportunity to kill an elk here. Where would you send those opportunity hunters that need opportunity at any elk?
2: I would argue that those opportunity hunters, if they know what their odds are now, are already hunting the west side. Those most of those guys, unless they're hunting a, a late, late season archery cow tag, right? They're going to the west side if they're if they're passionate about killing a bull, yeah. With that being said, there's things that the state does, like you mentioned, the East and West, which because we have so many people, maybe maybe you don't like it for for certain areas, but Washington has 7 million people in it. It's the most populated state, barring California in the Western states. And whether or not we have a huge hunting population out of that, it's still big enough that we have a pretty good amount of people hunting in this state. Couldn't we do um, elk zones like Idaho does? And that's, and that's what I was thinking. So if we go back... And the best best way I can explain this is if we went to a draw only system, barring any other changes, I'd like to like compare that to Nevada because it's I was gonna the say Nevada's best, got a draw only. State. It's the best comparison to see what do it. Would it. I want to like. hear this. So just to start out, Nevada has currently thirteen thousand elk. That's what they reported in their harvest game and harvest trend. I thought it was 17 and a half when I first Googled it. Cause that was the number that came up, but I looked at their actual report, 13,000 elk. They have a statewide bull to cow ratio. Of wow. Four. First off, I,
1: that's so, I, wow. I did not know it was that few. Cause and there's if, just giants living there. Exactly.
2: The thing is they have a high bull to cow ratio. So they're certainly, their, their statewide bull to cow ratio is 46 to hundred. Good Lord. Which is, if you're trying to kill bulls, that's, that's the place that's, to be, man. That's, that's a number you would be happy at. Yeah. So if you compare that, 13,000 elk, compare that to the quality managed elk I was talking about, our average herd size is 21,000. So between all the ones you mentioned, Cluckham, blues, Yakima, Blues. And wh- that small sub herd. And that small
1: little sub herd, that's 21,000 21, elk.
2: 21,000 elk on average years prior to Jeez. the... this This year it's around seventeen. So we have and a half more thousand. elk
1: in Washington's quality, hard to impossible to draw
2: areas than Nevada does. Exactly. Ridiculous. So about we have about 4500 more currently. The thing is we have lower bull to cow ratios. So if you take that bull to cow ratio and apply it to the the herd size, Nevada has about 5800 bulls that they can harvest out of. In comparison, Washington has I think if you if you go off of a 15 to 100 average bull to cow ratio, they don't publish anything like that, but I'm guessing if you kind of average it out, which is still on the low end, like I said, mm-hmm, for some of those certainly. units, you have 2600 or 2,637 bulls, bulls. to to hunt. Total, basically, yeah. So they, they have a lot less bulls to pull from, and that's in a bad year. So going back to Nevada, they have a cow to calf ratio of 32, which is strong, it's above the 30 line, which is great promoting health, herd health, basically. And last year, with those numbers, they gave out 2,500 bull tags, 2,517 bull tags. And they, they gave out like 300 spike tags for people who want more. So a little pinnacle. more than 50%. Mm-hmm. This is also the fact that they're, they're trying to harvest about 1,000 bulls is what it seems like. Um, I think they reported that because their hunter success is 45% across the board certainly is it everything together there people are 45 percent chance of shooting a bull when they go out and draw a tag so the expected harvest off of that 2500 bulls is about 1100 bulls and if you take non-participant non-participants into it it's probably closer to a thousand because some people just aren't going to hunt so their draw system is is interesting because it it's pretty dang close to Washington. I think it's exactly the same squared points. The it's only a bonus thing, point system for mm-hmm. sure. Bonus point. The only difference is you start with zero versus one. Correct. So Washington, your first year, you put in, you get one point. There's, you get zero points. I don't know how like that squaring that. system works, but it's, it's very close in comparison. So... The difference is they have a seven-year waiting period, which oh, is I'm a very long familiar, because I have five more to go. Yep, he's got five more years to go, and even for residents, seven years after you draw. But what that does is, and they lowered it. It used to be ten. Really? Yep. Well, that's, I'm sure they they've had her growth in the past few years but that's allowed that.
1: Everybody that does draw is going to have a great opportunity. Yes, they're going to have a great quality hunt.
2: And their trophy potentials, like, through the roof.
1: And I'd even be willing to say this, Jacob. Like, yeah, I drew the Blues, the Wanaha East, killed a really good bull. I'd be even willing to be like, okay, I need to wait seven years before I even put back in. I'd be totally down for that because that would clean up these these odds, these percentages need to go up. If somebody has, like, my buddy John Gabriel has something like 20... 22 points for a lot of these species and he's got like a 0.015 chance of drawing Mm -hmm. that's
2: and he's a resident so so i did that so if you go to the odds with five points five points i've got six points and i've feel like i've kind of got to the point where i understand elk hunting to the point where i'd want to draw a tag five points in 2020 for a nevada resident archery you have in between at the low end 2.8 percent chance but that's like a 380 percent like it's a you want to draw this tag to 98% chance of drawing a tag one of the tags they have there by 5 points you've drawn it guaranteed basically muzzle loader 3.1% to 50% early rifle 0.56% to 36%
1: 0.56 that's not even it's
2: just that's no chance but that's Probably a once in a lifetime. Like you're going to shoot a 380 bull if you're trying to put in for that early rifle tag event. Yeah, yeah. And then late rifle, 4.4% to 52%. So that's Nevada's odds. Let's let's roll through Washington's real quick for 2020 for someone with five points, which I should have done for six points because they had that zero. Yeah, but
1: oh well. It doesn't really change. Oh, much. I want to say, guys that are watching the podcast or guys that are listening to the podcast, Jacob is going to add his notes and his visual aids to the video. So if you're digging what we're seeing and you want it, you're like a visual perspicuity. I want to see what we're talking about. Check it out on YouTube. We're going to put it on the Elk Shape Channel. So, anyways, as you were,
2: Washington's. So, Washington, archery, you have 0.13% chance of drawing to 6.8% on the top end, and that 6.8% is in, like, a low public land unit, basically. Oh, okay. Muzzle loader, 0.11% to 1.5% chance of drawing. With er- five points. With five points. Early rifle, 0.1% to 2.8% for early rifle, and late rifle, 0.09% to 0.81%. So, all of your chances are basically below the starting point for all of Nevada's Correct. For as we are now. And again, we're they're allocating tags at a low try, low amount. But at the same time, we still have more elk. We have less bulls. But because of that general season, that spike harvest, we're not harvesting a huge... We're not giving out draw tags for those branch bulls. We're taking them as spikes. So... Let them get past the spike. I'm totally on board. So, so yeah, again, comparing that, Washington. So, I took... At the average population, which was, I think, was a 21,000, or sorry, for bulls was slightly different, but at a 15 to 100 bull to cow ratio, you have about 3,000, 3,200 bulls on an average year at 15 to 100 cows. If those, if that number is actually higher, if it's at 20 per 100, you have 4,200 bulls. If it's at 25, if, if the managers could get it to that 25 mark at an average population for all these, the 21,000, it's 5,300 elk. And if you, they even got it to thirty, which is still fifteen lower than Nevada, who knows if they could do this? It would be at sixty. We would have more elk than Nevada does. More bulls, sixty-three hundred bulls. So if you take that and let's let's even jump over to the amount. Of, so remember the amount of tags they gave out in Nevada it was like twenty-five hundred. Yeah for the amount of elk we gave out 508 last year and are we expecting about a 50 percent harvest rate 38.4 percent harvest rate oh my it's gosh it's the actual it's, less. it's the actual number it's not even the suspected that's how many bulls on draw tags were filled and that's high because i remember i said the average is 28 and percent yep because they when you give out less tags the success rate increases certainly so if you you're giving out more tags and the average is going to go. For example, 2014's success for draw tags was 26.5%. But they hadn't cut tags yet. <laughs> they hadn't cut tags yet. That was at that time. Yeah. So if you took the actual harvest of last year, 808 bulls, even with the 38.4%, you would you could give out 2,100 bull tags. With the seven-year success rate average, you'd be able to give out 2,800 tags last year with that success rate if you took out the spike harvest. So, take out the spike harvest, you're what is that? 5 times more elk bull tags, which in and of itself is going to increase your odds. Not counting, let's 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 go through some of the proposals I've kind of worked on. So, Okay, let's do that. So, I've kind of worked through some of the proposals to affect this and even make the odds even better if cuz if you multi, if you increase the amount of bull tags by 5, you're going to increase odds. But Again, first things first, you're removing the general season. West side would remain over-the-counter. Archery antlerless seasons would get changed over to draw only because why is an archery hunter getting over-the-counter? It's because of low success, but you can still manage it to where it's a draw tag and you still have a lot of options. You basically have the same amount of tags available for people hunting over-the-counter. It's just they can set the amount versus in a year like this year when the numbers are still down... They have to go, oh, there's gonna be a general season archery hunt. We don't know how many, we don't know how the is gonna be. That late season hunt could slaughter a bunch of cows and make it harder for us to get it back to objective. So if you change that, biologists would have a little bit more structure to making those seasons work the way they wanted to, to keep the numbers where they want them. Okay. So one big thing is the way they allocate tags doesn't make sense based off hunter participation. Like, like I mentioned, 2014 or 15, I think it was 20, even 2013, they gave out like 400-ish cow tags. They gave out 400 for rifle and 400 for muzzleloader. Why do you think they did that? I have no idea because 61% of the people participating are rifle hunters and 12% are muzzleloader hunters. So why are they giving them out the, out the same amount? You'd think success rates, but the success rates don't line up either. No, they don't. That so does if, not line up at all. So if you allocate harvest, say you're taking, oh, we want to kill 100 bulls in this unit. You give 61 of those bulls to rifle hunters based off of previous harvest success, 27% to archery, 12% to muzzleloader. And then it lines up and you take whatever the participation in the draws was the year before and you allocate tags the next year based off how many people were participating. Does that make sense? I could buy into that. I think that's a pretty good way to go about it. So that's that's the average for the past seven years is 61% modern, 27% archery, and 12% muzzleloader in the Yakima herd. So, and you could do it by herds too if you if you managed it in a zone type management so regionalized elk tags like idaho if you took absolutely every single elk herd in washington that's 10 herds and made it a zone to where you had to purchase your tag it it'll make it more complicated but what it will do is it'll prevent someone Disperse. it'll disperse disperse the seven million not the seven million but the huge amount of hunters we have in draws and in the field so if you tell someone, okay, you, maybe someone has 15 points for elk and they're like, I want to draw a tag. They're going to put in, but the the caveat is if I put in for Yakima, Calakam, or Blues, if I don't draw a tag, antlerless bull or quality, I'm not hunting. So if you have zero points, you might be, okay, I want to hunt an over the counter zone. I'm going to go to the west side or the northeast. You pick one of those zones. You're not going to overcrowd those areas? you could cap it if that happened. So it would probably most likely if you implemented something like this, you'd have to see if the West side and those zones got overcrowded and then you'd have to make it a first come first serve basis. So that doesn't happen. And the people who don't, don't do that first come first serve would have to put in for the East side if they wanted to hunt.
1: Let me ask you this. So it's kind of a two part question, Jacob, but by the way, Great research! Okay. I love that you dug in on this. I'm, I'm stoked, and I know there's a lot of people are going to have comments and questions. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of people that agree. Be more people that will disagree. Hey guys, we know that not all of us are going to agree. We're just trying to talk about this stuff. Get it out there, okay? If anything's going to change, it's up to us hunters to talk to the commission. So, fishing game gets their money, some of it from the general fund because they don't have enough revenue coming in. Um, We have to talk about wolves a little bit, like. We don't have sportsmen managing wolves because we don't have them dispersed enough. There's got to be more established packs on the West side, mm-hmm. right? Basically. So meanwhile, the packs are just getting and even then, really, knows? really big here in the Northeast and mm-hmm. Okanagan and and down in the Soton and we're having issues and we're spending, wasting money on fishing games we out there and trying to deter wolf from killing cattle or whatever, human-wolf conflict. We're spending money on that. They're even killing them and pissing off, you know, tree huggers. Sorry for lack of a better term. Wolf pro wolf people. And I don't know anybody that's a non-resident that's like coming to Washington and buying over the counter tags. Think about how much money Idaho and Montana gets from non-resident dollars We don't get that in Washington, and that's a significant amount of money we could get if a system like you're proposing, where quality goes up and people are waiting and on the sidelines for a good, better opportunity, I could see non-residents putting more in, Mm -hmm. for sure.
2: And for residents who are like, I don't want any non-residents putting in, we we already have too many hunters putting in for stuff now, you could do something like Oregon... I think even Idaho does it. They only allocate so many tags to it's non-residents. up to 10% up to, and
1: it's not guaranteed and it's 10%. it's not guaranteed,
2: exactly. So that's that's a way to, like you said, increase revenue. The, the, the other thing about that, though, is like you were talking about buying the tag prior to application. That's another thing keeping non-residents away. Oh, is yeah. You have to pay $700 in order to apply... And if you don't, you have a general season spike tag. Like no matter
1: what, if you want to put in for elk in Washington, you're going to get an elk tag. Mm-hmm. That's not cool, dude.
2: Mm-hmm. You know what so, I mean? So that would have to change as well. That's just things you'd have to work through. But like you said, having this discussion, whether this is accurate or not and whether it's actually going to work, I don't know that. But if you continue to just let the system that's 26 years old continue to dole out very, very little opportunity, nothing's going to change. So... I'm going to try to put something together, talk to the game commission. I've already kind of started to understand the system for doing this. It might not happen this year for this three-year season setting, but down the road, I'm probably going to be out of the state and I have to pass it off to some other person who wants to do this. I've I've made my peace with not drawing a Washington Elk tag. So if any of you think I'm out here trying to do this so I can draw a tag, I probably won't. So, especially with the way all these things are going. But getting back to... What did you have any other questions about? Well,
1: I think maybe I think at this point you probably need to summarize to the best of your ability the cliff notes version okay. of the proposals okay. cuz you've made a great case as to how our quality bulls aren't managed that well and how Hunter opportunity kind of sucks. Like I think all the division and all the confusion, like the system's broken. And that's why we've called this the Washington State Elk Hunting Shit Show. Uh, so let's do this. Break it down. What do you propose? And then I want to kind of finish with maybe going over some of the best practices from other states and to see what if they line up to what you propose.
2: Okay. So I'll just recap again. No general season for spikes. That would be the first one. Harvest management would be the brow tine three-point minimum, whatever it is to what let is spikes it? escape. What is it? Brow time. I would say brow time. Okay, it's, it's, that's very generous. Montana. Yeah, that's good. Point point minimums are strange sometimes. They don't always work. Um, then regionalized elk, elk tag by zone. We already talked about that. Longer seasons was something that when I didn't even think about the Montana wow, biologist just, I talked to. I yeah. mentioned how long our seasons were. Twelve days, and she was like, like she was like, didn't even, she didn't even talk. She's just like, wait, say that one more time, because. Montana obviously has like the most gen- like generous seasons probably in the western states for over-the-counter. They do. She said that alone, the amount of pressure you're reducing on animals and competition between hunters, shortening season in the end doesn't really, from what she's seen, decrease success rates. Just it overcrowds does, the woods. It, it just overcrowds the puts woods. It a
1: ton of pressure on the animals.
2: Animals go from one basin to another and there's more hunters there and that animal gets shot, basically. So she says increasing seasons would probably have a a huge effect on overall herd health management. So that's one step you could take. I don't Uh, know. How about
1: hunter experience? Yeah. I think that would go way up, you know, instead of having just um, a seven day rifle or seven day muzzy and you run into orange everywhere and it's, you don't see, spread it out a little longer. Maybe, you know, you take your days off, your vacation, you burn it, you have a little bit more enjoyable experience you might be willing to buy a tag the next year or whatever, or be willing to wait out the seven years
2: or whatever you suggested. So that, I was getting right to it. So waiting period of three to four years for bull and quality categories, not for antler lists, because I'm sure some people would be looking, okay, in the years that I don't. Again, if you draw a quality bull tag, you're waiting for that quality category you're not waiting for bull category you're not waiting for antlerless category so if, if you still have points in those you could still put in draw an antlerless tag still be hunting especially for the rifle guys who go out and tend to be in big groups and go out on hunts with kind of group atmosphere you'd be focusing on a couple more people that would have a huge way better chance of shooting something and way less pressure than 25 people out there and shooting one spike like in one camp, that's what the odds are as they sit right now, basically. And that's a little bit better than what the odds are. So that would also clear up application pools from the zone, regionalizing it. You get people focusing on what they actually want. Three to four waiting year waiting period, people aren't putting in that just drew a tag and making opportunity for people who just started hunting go down. So moving on from that, only get one choice in quality elk instead of two. Because, again, that's focusing people on what they want, and then two for bull and antlerless, since those opportunities aren't quite as quality, quote-unquote. They're not. You have maybe two hunts that you'd want to do. Yep. Not four. So someone with 24 points is throwing their points all around. And if you look in the bull, that's why the bull category odds are so low is because in the the Yakima herd late hunts that they have for bulls, there's people putting in for four of those, and they're stacking. So there's like 2,000, 3,000 applications for those hunts, and you're not... And not giving out that many tags. I didn't
1: even put in for bull category. Bull category well, this year. Archery
2: has three options, and muzzle loader has three options. And didn't even put in. Yeah, your your odds are even lower there. When is Washington's draw results coming out? I think they usually come around in the ninth or tenth. That sounds you? right.
1: Okay. Uh, well, you did a good job digging in on this stuff. I would say wrap up your your last little bit like hammer home, like the most important things. Um, and then kind of tell us why you did all this research, what you'd like to see.
2: So jumping back, I got one more proposal deer making like Idaho, pick in once in a lifetime species or deer and elk. Cause another thing that's no opportunity is our once in a lifetime tags. You basically have a shot in hell to draw those tags and if you so
1: explain to people what how idaho does it that those that don't know Mm -hmm. you guys all should know this if you're into it but some people don't so
2: you can either apply for deer elk or moose antelope sorry and antelope because we don't have antelope so it's not even we
1: should we have (laughs) we have the topography we have
2: the terrain They're, they're transplanting it somewhere but i don't know how that's going so okay deer and elk moose or sheep or goat correct that's correct. Okay.
1: You got one of those three that you can put in mm-hmm. for. Um, so I put in for moose in Idaho that year that I drew in 2014. I could not put in for sheep. I could not put in for goat. And I could not put in for quality, limited entry elk, deer, or antelope.
2: But you could buy an over-the-counter tag. Absolutely. Which would most likely stay the same. Absolutely. The thing is they don't have a point system, so that makes it a little different. Would you be able to the question is would you be able to build points in other categories? At this point, or? I'd
1: say screw points. Yeah. From what I've seen. Like I'd rather I think random's better than mm-hmm. my personal opinion. Yeah. Um and they it's expensive to put in for Idaho. So for some people don't want they don't want to write a check for twenty three hundred dollars to put in for a mountain goat. But it's still the same thing. Like up to ten percent can go to non resident. That's it. So the residents are still getting the lion's share of these oil t- tags, but Washington's oil tag system is
2: absolutely ridiculous. ridiculous. So, so what? What again? That what's that doing? Is it's taking people who really want to draw a moose, sheep, or goat tag and making them focus their efforts there, and giving opportunity more opportunity in the deer and elk categories, and it's also giving more opportunity because most eighty, probably ninety percent of the people out there want to hunt deer and elk, for sure. Versus putting in and having a shot Mm -hmm. at a moose, goat, or sheep. And what that's gonna do is gonna make it exponentially easier to draw a once-in-a-lifetime tag if you really want to do that.
1: If it were up to me, I would love to see a preference mm-hmm. for some of those old crusty bastards out mm-hmm. there that have max points for Maybe sheep
2: like
1: a 25%. And they're getting so old. Yeah. Like, get those guys their tag mm-hmm. uh, before they die. And then the other thing I wanted to tell you was that Idaho did a new thing this year where, like, if you put in for... If you're a resident and you put in for a limited-entry elk unit, you have to wait five days when elk tags go on sale because a lot of zones or regional are capped. And so you have to decide, am I going for this quality limited entry um, or do I really like my odds in this over-the-counter capped zone? And so for some guys, they're like, yeah, I'm not going to put in for a limited entry elk. I'm going to, I want first rider right refusal to that capped zone and get my over-the-counter tag. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. Washington could do the same. I think that's a good move.
2: It's just make a lot. Make people choose. A lot of things that, could be looked at to make this system. Cause again, we have so many people. We don't have as many elk as a lot of other States, but at the same time, I don't know. I haven't specifically talked to anyone, even people who hunt spikes every year, who buy that Eastside tag every year that are like, man, I, I still want to hunt those spikes every year. And I, I've looked for those people. I'm trying to find those people. Cause I know they're out there. I just want to know how many of them are out there because The vast majority would rather wait, especially archery hunters, draw maybe a tag every five, four or five years with that waiting period. You probably could do that with this system. Muzzle loaders get a tag every 10 years versus every 30 or 40 years, the way it's at currently. And then rifle hunters, you don't even have a guarantee you're going to draw a tag. So for those people out there who are hunting spikes every year, if your option goes from Oh, I have a once one in every 500 years chance of drawing this tag goes down to 1 in 27 years. That's better than not giving your application money away your whole life till you're 80 and never getting the tag, which is entirely possible. It's not like this may happen. It's like that's probably going to happen based off of some some of the way the tag allocations happen with these tags. Well, this is
1: the first year where I've bowed out on a couple things. I bowed out in uh, Wyoming. I had 12 points for sheep. And I was uh, basically $100 a year to get a point. And just with Wyoming's rule of like, the non-residents can't go into wilderness, and that really narrowed where I could put in. And I'm not hiring outfitter folks, just not me. And so I just bowed out. That's $1,200 I invested in Wyoming in 12 years. Walked away. Some people say you're an idiot, but... I, I would disagree. And then I, I bowed out on a couple of draws here in Washington. Like, no longer am I putting in for uh, ewes, mm-hmm. female mm-hmm. sheep. Like, I'm tired of buying. I'm not going to give Washington five bucks for that or whatever it is. I yeah. don't know what they charge for that and, s- and special application.
2: A lot of people are doing the same thing, even in w- people who hunt Washington every year. In 2015, the hunter participation in the Yakima herd was 22,500 people for general season. Last year was 16,217. So in those years, likely because of tag allocation, opportunity, whatever it is, that's being decreased, you're getting a drop in sales. I don't know if it equates to sales, but actual participation of like 4,000 or sorry, 6,000 people.
1: Hmm. Well, I like talking about this stuff with you, Jacob. I think that, uh, I know that you're super passionate about it. And I think that, just broke my chair. I think that people should get fired up a little bit. I hope you disagree with us. I hope you agree with us. I hope that bottom line is that you want to make some changes because the system isn't working the way that we all would like to see. And I think we all can agree on
2: that. And for the people who have criticism, I know there's going to be criticism all over, try to look at it from a perspective of how this can benefit everybody versus just benefit me. Because in the long run, I, I love taking people out and and teaching them how to hunt and taking them out and bugling a bull in, they're like, "Oh shoot, I want to do this sometime." But if you tell them that, and then you're like, "Oh yeah, you may, may never draw a tag here. Have fun hunting spikes and seeing those bulls run around all over the place." Because that's what I did for the first couple of years of my archery hunting experience was yeah. just calling bulls and then not be able to shoot them. It's fun, but eventually you want to work up, and that's why I jumped over to the west side. From a perspective of getting new hunters out there, there has to be a chance of opportunity and. It's really not there, from what I've seen. So
1: I know I'll give you a compliment publicly. In the last five years that I've known you, so 21 now you're 26. Um, I d- I don't even know how many uninitiated. I don't. First off, I don't know how many roommates you've had, but it seems like a lot. You've you know you've, you're in college and you're graduating, but you've had so many roommates, and all of them were like eating your wild game meat, and eventually were like begging you to to let them tag along or take along. How many? uninitiated non elk hunting kids like yourself, have you exposed to hunting and success just in the last five Four, years? Five. Yeah. That's five guys that you've touched. You've changed their life. Like you've helped them harvest their first animal, took them in the back country. Um, I know there's a bunch of them that have helped you pack out animals. They've never even seen a dead animal, like kudos to you. And Jacob doesn't come from a hunting family. So, Again, listen to the podcast where he killed his first elk, and we brought him on. Like I remember that, and uh, so you're. I love your passion, your fire. Uh, where can people talk some smack to you, send you
2: messages, email you, and and I hope that this conversation continues. Where can people get a hold of you? So my Instagram is Primitive Exposure with an underscore in between those two words. Hit me up on there. My email is v i l l a j a c two nine at gmail.com if you guys want to email me some thoughts and ideas maybe comment on
1: youtube and you can make uh your case there and if it's just remember i will delete anything (laughs) that's negative actually i probably won't i don't have time to go through them all but i do think yeah we let your voice be heard try to be constructive definitely be constructive play play
2: devil's advocate advocate because every idea needs that yes but do it in a way that's constructive and not not critis- critical. Yeah. Cause overall. you worked your
1: butt off and talking to biologists and doing your research and, and I'm nope. going to keep doing it. Yeah. And <laughs> you've dug in great and I appreciate it. So guys to wrap up this show, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, we believe that separation is in the preparation. And so right now I want to, plug a couple things. I want you to think about that elk season is less than four months out. We have 90 days to freedom. That's three months. That would be a perfect program to start yesterday. It's $69.99 and it's going to be every day. Here's what to do. And it's fully video supported. You can only see that if you get the program that's on our website. Do not spend anything more than that on a program for hunting. That's going to get you ready for the backcountry. Buy tags, buy a good backpack buy boots but the fitness stuff does not need to be that expensive this stuff's good and uh, we also have 20 for 20 that's 20 workouts that take 20 minutes or less for 20 bucks and all you need is a sandbag or a dumbbell Uh, and then lastly all y'all getting ready for elk season we have 21 days to elk shape that is the program that i would do literally about three or four weeks out to the day you're going to go hunting because we've integrated archery and fitness together and it's very specific program towards hunting a lot of rucking and that's kind of like your final push or your prep and then finally if you just need to lose some weight i have one nutrition program that i've written it's on the store and that's for people that need to drop a good 15 20 pounds between now and september appreciate you guys we know that you have a lot of choices out there we're excited to bring on ben gorman on the next week we're gonna he's the shed net guy and he is a great elk hunter and we're gonna dive deep on elk hunting tactics leading up to the season appreciate you guys support have the best week ever and we'll catch you on the next one